to our study of Christ of the book. Ready to get back to the He Is series that we have been doing for since about this time last, last January, I think is when we started. Uh, when we do Christ of the book, I remind you of Hebrews 10, 7, that in the volume of the book, it's written of me that Christ Jesus is the theme of the scripture. We started with Genesis. He is creator. Exodus, he is deliverer. Leviticus, he is lawgiver. And we've gone all the way through the scripture and talking about he is. He is the theme of the scripture. Not only do we have the written word, but we have the living word. And both of those reveal the true and living God to us. You want to know the true and living God, his characteristics, his attributes, who he is? You've got to know his word. But if you really want to know him, you have to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. He is the one who reveals the Father. And without knowing him, you cannot know the Father. But you know him, you know, you know the Father. Well, the last time that we were here, we, I think it was November the 27th when we are doing this study, and we looked at Acts, we looked at, uh, started with the book of James, so I'm going to kind of go back and do a review of that this morning. In Acts, he is the resurrected Savior. In the book of Acts, Christ is the resurrected Savior. He is the ascended Messiah. And all the wonderful truths, all the glorious happenings that we see in the book of Acts, all of those things that take place, take place because of one major fact, and that is he lives. Because of the resurrected Savior. Because death could not keep him, and the reason death could not keep him is because death had no claim upon him. The wages of sin is death, and I'm here to tell you he was the sinless Lamb of God, dying in my place and your place. As you studied the book of Acts, in order to understand what's going on, you have to rightly divide the word, folks. Now, I may say some things this morning that some of you have never heard. I may say some things this morning that, that, uh, that aggravate you. I may say some things this morning that you disagree with. That's okay. It's okay to disagree with a pastor as long as you promise me you'll do this, that you'll be Bereans and you will search the scriptures daily to see if these things be so. Do not just take my word for it. You search the scriptures. And I'm going to tell you something. I believe that the Holy Spirit who convicts people of sin also leads in the understanding of his word. That's what I ask you to do. So we're going to have a great time in the Word as we continue with uh, this Christ of the book. But you see the book of Acts as a continuation, basically, of the Old Testament, of what the prophets had declared was going to happen, happened. Especially the early part of the book of Acts. It was all part of prophecy. It was all part of 
what the prophet said would happen concerning the Messiah. It was the same with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All of those are a continuation of the Old Testament, if you will, concerning what the prophets had said to expect from the chosen one, the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, God incarnate. It was what to expect when he came. Well, the book of Acts is just a continuation of that. See, don't let the fact that there were 400 years between Malachi and Matthew scare you away from understanding that fact. Time really had no bearing on God's prophetic program. And when I say prophetic program, what the, old, what the prophets said was going to happen, we sometimes think of prophecy as things are still going to happen, and there are still prophecies to take place. But there, what happened in, during Christ's earthly ministry, we need to see as part of what the prophet said the Messiah was going to come and do. It was an indication that he indeed was exactly who he said he was. See, God taught Israel to look for uh, signs, to look for wonders, to know that this was an act of God when you see certain things taking place. And when the Messiah came, that's exactly what he did. We went over that a few, few weeks ago. So Acts is a continuation of that. Christ told them that he was going to send another comforter. In John chapter 14, he said he was going to go away. I'm going to send another comforter. And that's exactly what he did. That comforter, that paraclete, that one who walks alongside, that comforts you in time of distress and tribulation, he was going to sin, but he had to ascend first in order for the Holy Spirit to come and empower them, and his coming was with signs and wonders. I am convinced that the greatest piece of misinformation, well, one of the greatest, can't say it is the greatest, because there's salvation by works is probably the greatest misconception. But one of the greatest misconceptions and errors that the, teach, that the church, so many churches embraced, is that the church, the body of Christ, started in Acts chapter 2 with the coming of the Holy Spirit. That has nothing to do with the church, the body of Christ. That Jew and Gentile make up this joint body where Christ is the head. The coming of the Holy Spirit was exactly the promise of the Father that Christ said was going to happen. Told them to wait for the promise of the Father. The coming of the Holy Spirit was empowering them, showing them, providing evidence to Israel that what was happening was indeed part of Old Testament prophets what the, what the prophet said was going to happen was happening. It was God saying, I love you so much. I don't want you wondering. Here is what's going to happen. And sure enough, that's exactly what, what happened. So we see Acts as a continuation of that, where Acts is a historical explanation of what happened to Israel. Not the beginning of the church, the body of Christ, although that's going to come during the book of Acts, 
But the first part of Acts especially, all the way up to Acts chapter 8, is an explanation, is a description, is showing us what happened to the nation of Israel. They had all these promises of blessing. They had this offer of the kingdom. What happened? Can you imagine going from the book of John, turning to the book of John and looking at the book of John, and Acts not being there and opening and looking at the book of Romans and going, what? Who is this Paul? What is this salvation by faith alone? What, what, what is your no longer under the law, you're under grace? Wait a minute, get back to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where, where Christ told them to obey those in Moses' seat. The distinctions are so dramatic that without the book of Acts, you wouldn't know what had transpired, what had happened. You wouldn't know that the kingdom had literally been offered to the nation of Israel in Acts chapter 3. And the reason the kingdom could be offered to the nation of Israel is because of the resurrection. You wouldn't know that the Holy Spirit had come and empowered and gave proof that what was going on was part of Joel chapter 3, or chapter 2 and chapter 3. You, you wouldn't know that that promise was being fulfilled. See, it was all part of God's way of saying, I love you. I want you to know what I'm doing. And it was part of his, his great love. The book of Acts covers the ascension. It covers the coming of the Holy Spirit, the, the, the sending, the empowering by the Father. It covers the, the offer of the kingdom. Peter was given the keys to the kingdom, right? What do you do with keys? You unlock something. You open something. Christ told Peter that, that upon this rock, I will build my ecclesia. I will build my church, my called out ones. Peter had that key. And in Acts chapter 3, Peter uses that key to call Israel to repentance in order, to, in order for, the, for the Messiah, for the Christ to come and establish his kingdom. That's what Acts chapter 3 is all about. In order that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Isaiah talked about those times of refreshing that were going to come based on the Messiah establishing his kingdom. But the call was for Israel to repent. The call was for them to be that nation of priests that God had said they were going to be in order to reach out to a lost Gentile world and tell those Gentile nations who the true and living God is. It is in the early part of Acts that we see the ascension. We see the empowering of the Holy Spirit. We see the offer of the kingdom. We see the apostles exercising their apostolic authority. Christ had told them, you to the apostles, not to us folks, to the apostles, talk about apostolic authority, to the apostles, you will have the power to forgive sin. Whosoever sins you forgive, they're going to be forgiven. Whosoever sins you retain, they're going to be retained. Folks, that's power. That's authority. It is the 12 apostles that are going to sit in the millennium on the throne in Jerusalem 
in the temple judging the 12 tribes. All of that is scriptural. All of that is what God promised. All of that is connected to God's promises and prophecy to the nation of Israel, and it's all there at the beginning part of Acts. And all this time, is that promise, those promises are being fulfilled. There is something that's hid in God. There is something that had not been revealed. It was not going to be revealed until God reveals it to the chief of sinners concerning a plan, a program, a purpose for Christ going to Calvary's cross. And that plan, purpose, when Israel rejects the kingdom, when Israel, their religious leaders actually stoned Stephen, and we see Christ, he sees Christ standing at the right hand of the Father, indicating judgment, because Christ had ascended into the heavens at the right hand of the Father, and what did he do? He sat down, rest. God the Father said, you sit here until I make your enemies my footstool. And Christ ascended, he sat down. When Stephen sees him, he's standing up. Every scripture, every scripture that has to do with the Lord standing is always in judgment. Always in judgment. Israel was being judged. According to prophetic scripture, the next item on the agenda was the tribulation. Matter of fact, Peter, Peter in Acts chapter 2 had already told those Jews, you men of Judea, all of those who had gathered on the day of Pentecost when they said, these guys are drunk. These guys, we don't know what they're doing, but they must be drunk. Peter stands up and says, these men aren't drunk as you suppose. This is that, when they were speaking in tongues and all of the, that, that was happening, that empowering was happening, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And what, you go to Joel chapter 2 and you go to Joel chapter 3, it's all about the tribulation. And then what Peter, what Peter recites, what Peter quotes, has everything to do with the tribulation. They all thought that the tribulation, and prophetically, was about to stop, a start. The tribulation we know is when God's wrath is poured out. It's when, when the day of the Lord comes and God's full wrath is poured out on the beast, on the Antichrist, when Satan, when the whole world turns and, and, and to worship the beast, all of that starts transpiring and God's wrath is poured out and Christ is standing something wonderful, something wonderful marvelous. Something takes place that is an indication of God's amazing love and grace instead of his wrath falling. He sees the chief of sinners, the one who is leading the rebellion against him. He saves him by grace. And he reveals to this chief of sinners a glorious truth that what was hid in God from before the foundation of the world, that salvation was going to be offered to whosoever believes by grace, and that Jew and Gentile are going to be made part of a glorified body. Christ is the head. God is not working through nations. He's not working through Israel today, folks. 
That's coming. Because God's promises are without repentance. God's promises will take place. That's going to happen. But right now, God's offer of salvation, as a matter of fact, the scripture calls this, Paul calls it into the church in Corinth, the day of salvation. This is the day of salvation as God's grace is being extended. See, it's the book of grace that, that outlines all that for us and teaches us all that and shows us all of that. The day in the book of Acts, it's all about the Holy Spirit coming and the working of wonders and signs that all were indication that and proof to Israel that this is of God. And it's the tribulation that's to come that's actually going to draw Israel back to God. It's the pending tribulation that God is going to use when 144,000 Jews out of every tribe, uh, 12,000 out of every tribe is going to be sealed, when there are going to be millions of people who are choosing the true Messiah during that tribulation period, as the gospel of the kingdom is being proclaimed, as the truth is being broadcast that the true Messiah is Jesus of Nazareth, not the beast. That's part of the war. That's part of the beast is doing everything he can during that tribulation with the help of the false prophet to draw people away and make them think that he is, whoever he is, that he is the true Messiah. He is the Savior. He's even going to set himself up on the throne of, in the temple and declare himself to be God. And boy, what God's Word tells us is His wrath is poured out at that time. But from the beginning to the end of Acts, from the Holy Spirit coming to the resurrection, to the offer of the kingdom, to the salvation of the chief of sinners, to the offer to Gentiles, salvation by grace. Remember, Luke 4.22 says that salvation is of the Jews. Folks, we don't, don't dismiss that scripture. Christ Jesus in Matthew 15 says, I came only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Does that mean anything? You bet it does. When Christ sent the disciples out, he tells them specifically not to go to the Gentiles, go only to the lost sheep of Israel. What is all that about? You can't neglect those scriptures. We have to explain those scriptures. We have to understand what those scriptures mean. Because salvation was of the Jews. God was dealing. God was working through the nation of Israel. He was calling them out to be that nation of priests. Even preparing them to be that nation of priests. As John the Baptist came baptizing them in the river... That baptism was absolutely, positively required if they were to be that nation of priests because that was a ceremonial cleansing for the nation of Israel to be a priest. A priest could not be a priest unless he went through that ceremonial washing. That's what John the Baptist came preparing them to be that nation of priests. Someone said, I wish God had made this a little clearer. 
How clear can it be when you study and you understand and you put those scriptures together? And one of the things God tells us to do is to study rightly dividing, but to show ourselves approved unto God. You can't understand it if you don't keep your nose in the book, if you don't study. During the book of Acts, and I am going to get to James because we're supposed to hit James today. <laughs> but I wanted to set all this up. In the book of Acts covers a space of 30 years. 30 years. And during that 30 years, there are several books that are written. Luke writes the book of Acts, and he writes it from a historical accounting so we can see how things take place during that 30 years. It begins with the ascension of Christ and the apostles saying, will you now restore the kingdom to heaven, a kingdom of heaven? That was their big question. To Paul saying, lo, I turn to the Gentiles and they will believe it. What in the world happened during that, from then to then? You need to keep your Bible open and study it in order to understand. But it's there to understand. So during that 30 years, Paul writes, at the end of that 30 years, he writes his prison epistles. But during the book of Acts, many books are written. The Holy Spirit moves on others besides Luke to write during that time. Where, write, where Luke is writing about the historical significance, others are writing about spiritual truth that I firmly believe is written to the tribulation saints what they are going to need during the tribulation, because remember, they thought that the tribulation was beginning. They believed God. But there was something hidden in God because of His love and mercy. That, hallelujah, is right. Because of Israel's rejection, God did something mighty. But those books that were written early on, so that's the reason we're not going to jump over it from Acts to Romans. We're going to look at James. Matter of fact, James was written in the early part. First and second Peter was written in the first part. Jude was written in the first part. Hebrews was written to the first in the first part, written to Hebrews. And are you sitting down? Revelation was written in the early part with an explanation of all that was going on. And the reason why people can't seem to get all that lined up is because they want to start the church in Acts chapter 2 and they want to make it all fit their round peg in, in a square hole and it doesn't fit. So they got it all, I think, wrong. But don't take my word for it. You study to see if these things be so. And I hope, I hope that it means that much to you to want to study it, to see if that preacher is right or he's crazy. That it's that important. And folks, it is that important. You say, Pastor, 
Don't make it so complicated. I'm telling you when it gets complicated, it gets complicated when you try to take things that were God had written to Israel concerning the kingdom program and you try to make them fit the church, the body of Christ program and you try to make them mesh when they don't mesh. That's what's confusing. That's what's complicated and God did not mean for it to be. Not at all. So the early part of Acts, you have James, you have Peter writing, you have Jude writing, you have John writing, but you also have Paul writing toward the end part of, it's during, as, as Israel rejects and as there's that transition period where God is, is it, the offer Israel is, is, is still held out there. Those that believed under the kingdom program, they're still looking for the second coming of Christ. They're looking for him to come and establish his kingdom. They were saved under that program. They're going to stay under that program. But then during that transition, things start changing. Things start changing. And with the salvation of Paul, boy, do things change. Matter of fact, he writes to the church in Thessalonica. You know why he writes to the church in Thessalonica? He writes to the church there because somebody has sent them a letter and told them the day of the Lord, the tribulation has already started. And there really were people that believed that. I think they were trying to help the people in Thessalonica, but they were just wrong. They didn't understand rightly dividing the word. I don't think they sat down and said, watch this, I'm really going to mess with their minds. I don't think that's what they did at all. And as Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica and he explains to them certain things concerning the last days and that they weren't, they weren't in the tribulation, that that's not going to come until there come a falling away first. And he talks about all of those things that takes place. During that Acts, Paul writes the book of Galatians. And, and again, when we get in 1st, 2nd Thessalonians with Christ of the book, we're going to elaborate on this. When we get to Galatians, we're going to elaborate more on this. But even to, in, to the church in Galatia, Paul writes to them, and he, what does he say to them? You foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? What were they doing? They were putting themselves back under the law. They were believing those Judaizers that were coming up from Jerusalem, that were saved under the kingdom program, they were coming up and saying, you got to be circumcised. you got to obey the law of Moses. They were preaching the kingdom gospel. The good news of the kingdom. That's why in Galatians 2, Paul writes, Galatians 1, he says, if we or an angel comes to you preaching any other gospel, let him be accursed. Again, it was important enough for him to say it twice to this church in Galatia. If we or an angel from heaven come and preach any other gospel to you, let him be accursed. Another gospel? And, and people say, well, that's Mormonism. No. That, well, that's, he met Jehovah's Witness. No. 
What does gospel mean? Gospel means good news. Somebody was taking good news and under the kingdom program, what Peter was preaching, what James is preaching, what the apostles were preaching, what was being offered on the day of Pentecost, do you know what that was to Israel? Good news that the king is coming. He's going to establish his kingdom. All the glorious truths, all the things that are going to take place on earth when Christ is ruling and reigning, the government's going to be purified. All the things we've talked about today when he's ruling and reigning, that is good news. Those from Jerusalem were going up and they were telling them, here's what you got to do in order to be saved. They were preaching another gospel. And Paul was saying, don't believe that. Don't believe that. Folks, the kingdom gospel will not save you today. Do you hear me? The kingdom gospel will not save you. It is the gospel of the grace of God that saves you today. There are no amount of works. There are no amount of deeds. There's, and, and it's the kingdom gospel that stresses works. It's the kingdom gospel. Let me show you exactly what I'm talking about. And this is where I usually get in trouble. Well, by the way, Romans was written during this time. The letters to the churches in Corinth were written during this Acts period. And again, it's not until Paul, the end of Acts that Paul writes Ephesians and, and Philippians and Colossians and Philemon. And then way after he gets out of prison, it's First and Second Timothy. So here he, he is writing. Well, before I get into that, let me tell you this. Talking about two Gospels. In order to understand the Word of God, you've got to understand that Israel had a special commission to preach the Gospel of the circumcision. The good news of circumcision. The good news of the circumcision. Who were the circumcised? Who were the circumcision? The Jews, the nation of Israel. And James and Peter and the apostles, all of them determined and declared that they would take the gospel of the circumcision to Israel. Paul, you take the gospel of uncircumcision to the Gentiles. Not take the gospel to the circumcision, if your Bible uses the word to, it's a false translation. The word is of. The gospel of circumcision, the gospel of uncircumcision. And those messages are worlds apart. Now today there's only one saving gospel, and that's the gospel of the grace of God, the gospel of the uncircumcision. That's, that's the gospel today. But let me show you what I'm talking about. James is one of the first written. When you look at James, it is, it is so closely tied with the tribulation. Matter of fact, look at James chapter 5, verse 7. James chapter 5, verse 7. In the book of James, he is Israel's coming Messiah. That's who Christ is in the book of James. He is Israel's coming Messiah. 
In James chapter 5, verse 7, he tells them, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husband waits for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receives the latter and early rain. At the appropriate times, he will come at just the right moment. He knows what you need. He knows the husband needs the early rains in order to be fruitful. He knows the farmer needs the latter rains in order to be fruitful and to be prosperous. And he's telling them here to be patient. Peter does the same thing. But in the book of James, his emphasis, well, look at James 1.1. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. So who is James writing to? To the twelve tribes of Cleveland? of Philadelphia, of Babylon, the 12 tribes of Israel. And he says he's writing to those tribes that are scattered. Go back to Acts 8. Sorry about that, Tim. Look at Acts, Acts 8 real quick. This is about the time James is writing. How do we know that? Acts 8, 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death, talking about Stephen. And at that time, there was great persecution against the church, the the kingdom church, which was at Jerusalem, because the church, the body of Christ, was still a mystery, folks. Paul had not been given. This This Saul of Tarsus is Paul. He had not been given the revelation of the mystery. The word church simply means called out ones. This is not the church, the body of Christ. It's the kingdom church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem because Christ told them, don't you go anywhere. You begin at Jerusalem, then Judea, Samaria, and the othermost parts of the earth. Look at So this is about the time James was writing to those people who were scattered. Look at Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. Maybe it's because salvation is of the Jews. And it was imperative. And they were working under that commission, under that calling, under those instructions, because it was imperative that Israel be saved in order to be that priestly nation. James, I believe, thought that the tribulation had started. So in James chapter 1, he talks about who he's writing to, to the 12 tribes. He then talks about, count it it a wonderful thing, when you count it all joy, when you fall into uh, various temptations, tribulations, count it a joy. Because that's exactly what's going to happen during the tribulation. Verse 12 in James 1 
Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. I'm going to ask you a question. When you read that verse, blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive a crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. In order to be saved, do you have to endure temptation? Because that's basic. And the trial, what's coming? And stand firm in order to be saved. What must you do to be saved? Today, you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. God does his work in your life. I'm telling you, they were working under the kingdom program at this time. But I'm not done. This is where, well, straighten me out, please, if you can. But look at James chapter 2. James chapter 2, just to show you this major distinction, major distinction. And I've known pastors, I've sat down with pastors, I've dealt with pastors, I've seen them jump through hoops and everything trying to explain this verse and trying to make it say something that it doesn't say. And frankly, I resent that trying to make God's Word say something that it doesn't say. Let's take God's Word at what it says. Let's don't try to build God's theology around what we believe. Why don't we believe exactly what God gives us in theology? In James chapter 2, verse 14, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he has faith and hath not works? Can faith save him? Let me tell you, from this pulpit, sitting right here, standing here, preaching this word, I'm going to tell you something. Your faith in Christ can save you. I'm telling you right now, there's not a work you can do that you can earn salvation. Because James's whole point here is that faith without works is dead. He, his, his answer to this is no, because I'm, I'm going to read that in a second, he's going to say it. That faith can't save you. you got to have works. Paul comes along and says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Paul tells Titus, Not by works of righteousness that you've done, but by grace, but by mercy he saved you. It it, it is so, so different. But anyway... Can works, can faith save you? I can tell you what can't save you, works. Faith in Christ's finished work can save you. Matter of fact, it's the only thing that can save you. Look at verse 21. See, James just starts getting warmed up, and he starts, he starts letting these people, these Jews that were scattered, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seeing thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect or complete? Folks, I'm here to tell you, my works do not make me complete. My faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work is what makes me complete. You see the difference in this dispensation and what was going on under the kingdom program? This is the Word of God. Luther was wrong. Martin Luther said James should have been thrown out. He's wrong. 
This is the Word of God, but under a different dispensation, under a different program. It is God's Word. And from Genesis to Revelation, God's Word is profitable for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. We are to study it all, but as we study it, we are to rightly divide it, folks. Seest, verse 22, Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? Verse 24, you see then how that by works a man is justified. What does the word justified mean? Declared righteous. You see then, using Abraham as an example, you see then how that by works a man is declared righteous and not by faith only. Wow. Can it get any clearer than that? Well, that's not what James meant. I believe James was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I believe that's exactly what was meant. You then see how that by works a man is declared righteous and not by faith only. It has nothing to do with declared righteous by other men. I could care less about being declared righteous by any man. And that's, that was what they all said. Well, no, Rick, you have to understand that how faith by works, a man is declared righteous by other, other men. I, I don't care whether you declare me righteous or not. Because if you know me, you know I'm not. But I tell you, I am righteous in Christ. And that's the only righteous that matters. Now go over. And here comes this Paul. Real quick. Look at Romans. I mean, yeah, Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verse 27. Where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude your apostle, the apostle to the Gentiles. This is your apostle, Gentiles speaking. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. What is the law? Works required by God. Drop down to Romans chapter 4. He's not done. He's not done. What shall we say then that Abraham, my father's pretending to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. If, if you're not getting a mixed message between Paul and James, you're not reading the same scripture I'm reading. For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that works is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. You're trying to work your way to salvation, you're going to end up owing. You're going to end up owing. But to him that works not, but believes on him that declares the ungodly 
or declares righteous the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So rightly divide the word of truth. Pastor, why do you go into all this? Number one, I want you preaching the right gospel. I want you preaching the saving gospel. I want when you share with your friends and family, you are telling them the truth of God's word for today is that salvation is by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I want you to understand God's word that the early part of Acts was under a different program. It was still God working. Still the word of God. And I think I've said this before. You know, when I sent my wife letters, when we were courting, I wrote to her every day when she was in Montana and I was down in Alabama. And she wrote back to me, we still have those letters. I kind of get embarrassed sometimes, but I thought, man, I was sweet. <laughs> but, but I, and I can, I can let you read those letters. I won't, but I could. <laughs> I could let you read those letters and you could be blessed by those letters and you'll read that letter and you would go, oh man, Faye, Ricky loved you. Boy, he couldn't wait to become your husband. Well, I'm not going to read that part. No, but, but I'm telling you that those letters were a blessing to Faye and anyone else that would read them, they would be able to see the love and the caring and the purpose and the hope. But you know what? They wouldn't be to that person. They were for the Scriptures. They're, all the Bible is for us. It's for us to learn. It's for us to understand. They all declare God. But know this body of Christ. Not all scripture is to you. If you think it's to you, I need for you to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. That's what the scripture says. There, there are so many things that the Bible explains and expresses and tells the nation of Israel they have to do in order to prepare and to become that nation of priests. that are different, actually contrary to what the Scriptures teach concerning what you, a member of the body of Christ, an heir of God, a joint heir of Christ, has in Him. I mean, there are so many other things. For Paul to come along and say, you're not under the law, you're under grace, when, when James, in, in Acts 21, I know, I know, I know. In James, in Acts 21, when, when Paul goes and, and sees him there, James tells Paul, look at all of these Jews in Jerusalem. Look at all these Jews. And they are zealous for what? The law. The law. Not the grace of God. 
They're all zealous of the law. Two different programs. But that offer the kingdom was slowly withdrawn. By the way, all the gifts from tongues and the healings and all of those things were slowly withdrawn. They were assigned to Israel that this was of God. And they were slowly withdrawn. And they're no longer for today. What is for today is for you to get right with God. Become an heir of God, a joint heir of Christ. And by faith, believe. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for your word. Father, as we preach it, Father, we come recognizing how limited, how just not able to get that point across of the truth. But Father, the Holy Spirit is. Father, take our feeble efforts. Father, even, either, either convict me of what I'm teaching is in error, or Father, move on everyone's heart to study it and understand it. Father, that's my earnest prayer. We never want to teach your word in error. We always want to teach in truth. We always want to be prepared as we stand here and declare the gospel of the grace of God. In order to equip the saints, in order to go out of here. Encouraged about their faith. Looking forward to sharing the truth with those who are lost. Or even those that are confused with the truth of your word. Now, Father, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning that's not saved, Father, they'll understand that it's not by works of righteousness that they could possibly do. It's not about getting better. It's not about earning it. Father, it's by understanding that Christ died for them, that he was buried for them, and he rose again. And Father, understanding that the moment by faith they trust Christ, and his finished work, that you begun, you began your work in them to make them new creations. Father, we thank you for that truth. And we pray these things in Christ's holy and most precious name. Amen.